At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. This morning, now we get a chance to dive into God's Word. So if you have a Bible or electronic device, I encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We're actually going to be in chapter 5 today, so go ahead and turn all the way to the back of that book. Chapter 5 is the last chapter. And as you're turning there, does anyone know what's special about this this week that's coming? Thanksgiving, right? Good. I thought I was in the wrong place for just one second. Like, wait, am I in the right week? What? No. Yeah, it's Thanksgiving. It is a time to gather, not in large groups, um, but it's time normally we gather around food and we to have a time of celebrating and have a little bit of, of giving God thanks for all that he's done in our lives. And, you know, I don't know if you know uh, the story of Thanksgiving. I'm sure many of you do know how Thanksgiving started. But I thought it'd be good this morning if we hear the perspective of the first Thanksgiving from the perspective of Plymouth Rock itself. So let's turn our attention to the screen and let's see Thanksgiving from the perspective of Plymouth Rock. My name is Plymouth, Plymouth Rock. Now, you might just wonder how a rock ever got a name like Plymouth. Well, let me tell you how it all happened. The year was 1620. It was a normal day for me sitting on the beach, getting some sun, minding my own business, when lo and behold, along comes this boat. And can you believe it, as big as I am, it bumps into me. Ow! Who said that? I think it was the rock. The rock? Oh, whatever. Let's plant the flag, shall we? I do hereby name this place Plymouth. Very nice. And what about a name for the rock? I do hereby name this rock Plymouth Rock. Is that the only uh, Sounds great to me. Let's go. And so the pilgrims got off the boat and began the hard work of setting up a settlement in the new world. Now, I don't know whose idea it was to try to build a settlement at the beginning of winter, but needless to say, the pilgrims had it pretty rough. How was your hunting? I'm hungry. Fish fillet, anyone? Ugh. Oh, Lord, please have mercy on us. Finally, the long, hard winter passed, and spring came, my favorite time of year. The sun was shining, the grass was growing, the birds were singing, and the pilgrims went out to plant. Number one, dig hole. Check. Number two, you don't really know what you're doing, do you? I admit it, I'm not But God had heard their prayers and sent along one of the locals to help them, an English-speaking Indian by the name of Squanto. Would you like some help? Yes, please. So with lots of hard work and working together with their new friends, the Indians, by the end of the season, they had an abundance. 
abundant harvest. God, we thank you for our families and friends and for thy many blessings. Amen to that. Hi, we should do this every year. And so began the tradition of Thanksgiving when family and friends get together to fellowship and eat and thank God for his many blessings. And as for me, they decided to give me a new home where lots of people come to visit me. I am of all rocks most truly blessed. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> From the perspective of a rock, right? Yeah, well, um, as, as, as light as that uh, video wants to put the story, it really was not all, all roses and, and peaches. You know, as the, the whole reason that the pilgrims came to the Americas in 1620 is because they were seeking uh, religious freedom. Uh, they were living in a, in a place where the Church of England was uh, regulating and giving all kinds to how worship could happen. And so uh, the pilgrims and the Puritans uh, came to America at different times uh, to freedom because they wanted to worship God in a free way and they wanted to honor him in that way. So their, their trek to the Americas was truly and honestly a, a, a sense of trying to be obedient to what God was uh, doing in their lives. But that first year that they got here, that year was full of heartache, that year was full of danger, was full of disease, it was full of death. And as we saw in that video, arriving in late September to, to try and get a settlement started before a cold, harsh winter, we see that it was a very, very hard winter. Many of the actual settlers never made it off the boat until after the first winter. Many of them decided to stay there, and it was a, a time in which scurvy was uh, outrageous and other contagious diseases were going uh, rampant through all of, God, uh, all of the people. And uh, by, the, by the time the first spring comes, uh, about 50% of the original settlers had died. And so we see that the beginning of, of this hope and this seeking to honor the Lord seems to turn to tragedy. But yet God, we see his hand and his providential hand in the lives of these people. They, they bring along Squano to help the people to learn how to, to farm the land and to learn the lay of the land. And, and I don't know, you know, as, as difficult of a time that was, must have been for the pilgrims, as they are probably wondering in their mind, God, like, God, what are you doing? We, we've got to be able to see the hand of God, even in that story. Like, have you ever thought, how did Squanto learn English? Like, how did he know English? Well, I did some research, and here's how Squanto learned English. God in his sovereignty. Now, see, pull back for just a minute and look how big our God is. God knew in 1620 that the pilgrims were going to come to Plymouth, and they were going to begin to set a settlement there, and they didn't know much about farming. They knew much about God, not much about farming. And so what were they going to need? They needed someone local. So what did God do? God provided Squanto. Well, how did Squanto get there? Well, years before that, Squanto was taken and as a slave and taken to, uh, to England. And while he was in England, that's when he learned English. And while there serving as a slave, he learned English and then found his way to escape back to the Americas. Now think about that just from the perspective of Squanto for a second. 
Like he is no, like one day he's doing one thing and the next day he's on a boat to another country to go serve as a slave where he learns English and comes. He's got to be thinking in his mind, like what's going on? What's the purpose of all of this? But he had no idea that his suffering and his pain that God was going to use to birth a nation. Now think about that for a moment. Like, especially as we're walking through this difficult season in our lives, and I'm not even going to try to compare what we're going through to what the pilgrims went through in that first year, but we can, we can agree that this has been a crazy year, right? We can all agree that we're walking through a year of disappointment, that we are walking through a year of danger, we're walking through a year of disunity, a year of disease, and a year of death. And yet, at the same time, we see that these people, as they walk through the season, the one of the things that they did is they responded in thanksgiving. And I think that's an appropriate response for us today. That as we walk through this, one of the biggest things that we can do is enter into this season of thanksgiving, where we take this opportunity to reset our hearts and reset our minds, being reminded of who God is and all that he's done in our lives. I think like never before in my life, I need this Thanksgiving. Do you need this Thanksgiving? Like, is this a time where you just say, hey, I need to be reminded about how good God is. And even though I don't understand why all the disappointment this year, I don't understand why all the things haven't worked out like I've wanted them to, but I do need to be reminded that God is good. God is good in everything. And today we're going to look at Paul's letter, a portion of Paul's letter that he writes to the church in Thess Thessalonica. And he gives them encouragement and he gives them instruction on one big thing. And this is what we're going to see today, that we are to give God thanks for everything. That, that's what I want us to take away today from the scripture passages, is that we are to give God thanks for everything or even in everything. We are to give God thanks. Now, we know it's easy to give God thanks when things are going smooth and things are going well. But how are we to give God thanks when we walk through seasons of suffering? When things don't go right, when we are walking through disease and we're working through health issues and we're walking through unemployment and we're walking through all these other things, how can God still expect us to give him thanks? Well, today, as we look at this passage, we're going to see that it is an expectation for those that follow Jesus that we are to give God thanks in everything, in the good and in the bad. And we see this, this teaching in the context of this letter that Paul writes because Paul's not writing to people that are going through a, a great season of life where everything is, is peaches and cream. Paul is writing to this very, very young church that's walking through a great season of distress. You see, many of these, these new believers came from Jewish and uh, Gentile backgrounds, and they've, they've come to now be, take on this identity of being in Christ, and many of them were disowned by their families. Many of these new believers who once had rich jobs where they were able to make uh, a lot of money but now are find themselves unemployed because they refuse to follow the pagan practices of their workplace. And so you've got them that are ostracized from their families. They're unemployed. Many of them now find themselves homeless because they don't have jobs to pay for their place, so they have no home. And many of them are hungry. And so you see people that are in great need that are going through a difficult time. And Paul is encouraging them to give thanks in everything. Well, how is that possible? 
How, how is it possible for us to make sure that we maintain a heart that gives God thanks in everything? Well, we see this simple teaching in the, in the middle of a list where Paul is getting ready to end his letter to the, to the Thessalonians. And if we look in verse 14 of chapter 5, what we see there what begins, it's like almost as though Paul is done writing, but he's like, but I got a lot more things to say. So he just begins to rattle off all of these commands. And I want to read them to you and just see if you can sense just the, the, the way at which Paul is just getting after it as he gets ready to end. And he says, we encourage you, brothers, this is verse 14, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from evil, from every form of evil. Do you just see like Paul is just getting after it. He's like command, command after command. And in in midst of all of this, we see that he gives these three beautiful statements that helps us understand how to develop a heart that continually gives thanks. In the simple verse, these simple phrases, these simple commands. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So in the midst of suffering, it is possible to give thanks. It is possible for us to live lives of, of thankfulness in the midst of suffering. But I want you to see the caveat here. That the opportunity to give thanks and live a thankful life is only for those that are in Christ. Do you see that? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So in order for us to, to receive this joy that comes, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and to walk in this path that leads us towards life, we must first be in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mean? What it means is that each one of us must come to, to look at the work of Jesus Christ, his, uh, his perfect life and his death on the cross and his resurrection, and to see him as our Savior and our Lord. It's when we come to trust in him, allow him to be the source of our trust, the source of our salvation. It's at that moment that we are in Christ and this can be a reality. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, I pray that you would come to know him. I pray that you would place your faith in him so that this reality can become yours. But for those of us that are here that have already come to place our faith in Jesus, these three statements are not given to us so that they become impossible commands. These statements are not given to us to, to frustrate us or to burden us. But instead, these are given to us so they lay out a, a path towards thankfulness that gives life to us. It's a way in which we walk in this that we begin to understand and it raises our hearts and our minds above the sufferings and above the turmoils of our day. So today we're going to take a look at these three uh, commands that God gives us through the, the letter of Paul. The first that he gives us is rejoice always. God gives us the command to constantly rejoice. Constantly rejoice. Now, first, before we understand what he's saying here, let me give you an uh, indication of what Paul is not saying here. 
Paul is not saying that as we go through the difficulties of life and that we go through the challenges of life and we go through the hurts of life that we're supposed to always have a smile on our face. He's not saying that we, we put on a fake smile as we go through life as Christians. That we say, well, it's no big deal. I know it's, it's disappointment and it's hurt and all of that, but it's, it's no big deal. No, he wants us to feel those disappointments deeply. And we feel the, uh, the pains of life for real. Not fake it through it. Don't fake it till you make it, which is what many people do. Many people think that we're called as Christians to, to live this life where, where nothing bothers us, where nothing hurts us. And then, or sometimes we're, we're, we believe that when we follow Jesus that life's not supposed to hurt. And then when it hurts, it tests our faith in our great God. But we are called to not be fake about it, but we're called to live in the joy that God has provided. Now, this joy that is only available to Christians is an opportunity to have this deep kind of contentment that doesn't diminish based on circumstances. We have the opportunity to have a deep, abiding joy that doesn't change based on circumstances. Well, if it doesn't come based on circumstances, then where does our joy come from? Well, our deep, abiding joy comes from the covenant relationship that we entered into at the moment of salvation. You may say, well, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand how this deep abiding joy came at the moment of salvation. Well, Paul understands this in other areas. He wrote in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through uh, 14, he says this, and he's talking about this beautiful joy that comes from the covenantal relationship. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, what Paul is writing here about is he's talking about the blessed relationship that we have through our faith in God, the work that we have and the joy that we have because of our relationship or our covenant with the God of the universe. Look at the benefits. So we, our response is to give thanks to the Father. This is God the Father, who has done what? He has qualified us or given us the opportunity to share in the inheritance uh, of the saints in light. And then not only has he done that, but he's delivered us from the darkness and transferred us to the, to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. These are beautiful blessings that God has given us. Not only does God call us out of darkness, but he puts us in the light, but he calls us children. We are children of the God of the universe who have a special relationship because our sins have been forgiven and we have been made right. So there is great joy that comes from being a child of God. That's where our joy rests in the fact that nothing happens in this world that we need to worry about because we're a child of God. We have an inheritance that we are waiting for, that we're not living for this world, but we're waiting for the next when we finally get to be reunited with our Heavenly Father. But there's also, we do have the joy, but we also have the understanding that God is at work in our lives. And that brings joy to us as well. We have joy knowing that God has not just left us all alone, but like a, a good father, he is caring for us every single day. 
So as a child of God, that means that our father is working in our lives daily. Just as the earthly father raises a child in the ways that they should go, so our heavenly father is working in our lives to help us mature, helping us grow in the way we should go. And sometimes we need to walk through seasons of suffering because that's where we learn more about God and more about ourselves. We learn more about our inabilities and we learn more about God's capabilities. That's why in in James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes this. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what James is saying is he's trying to help us be reminded, when you go through difficult times, guess what you're to count it? Joy. So joy comes from counting it joy when you go through difficult times. Why? Because God is working in you. God is working to develop you so that you grow in your faith in him and you grow in your ability to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what is the source of our joy? The source of our joy comes from God himself and his work in our lives. Those are two beautiful things that we have the blessing of knowing. Now, you say, okay, the, the passage here, the command here is to, con- to rejoice always or consistently or constantly rejoice. Paul is calling us to experience this joy through committing ourselves to constantly rejoicing. Now, let me break this down to you just a little bit. It's, it, this word rejoice is a compound word, and it has the, uh, the prefix of re. Now, if you're in English, you may know this better than I do. But the word re means to do again or to walk back. And so this idea of joy that we have and putting it with re means that we need to come back to this place consistently over and over again of making sure that the object of our joy is God himself. So we rejoice. So we come back and say, no, God, you are my joy. You are my crown. You are what I desire. And so this this season, this year of things being canceled and all of that, I think God has given us an opportunity as we've experienced the disappointment of loss that maybe along the way this season and this year, God is showing us places of displaced joy. Maybe we've placed our sense of joy in things and not in God alone. It's easy to get carried away, right? It's easy to find joy in all kinds of things. We look forward to to events in our lives. We look forward to this and we look forward to relationships and we look forward to all of those things and those things can be taken away in a moment. And if our joy is found only in those things, when we're taken away, we're utterly destroyed. But if our joy is found in God and in the work that he is calling us to, then we can remain, even though it hurts, we aren't destroyed, but we can rejoice. And so what we see here is a need for us to rejoice, to reestablish God as the source of our joy, continually remind ourselves that God is good, that God is in control, and God has my benefit or my best at his heart. 
And so it's this process of rejoicing where we begin to rehearse in our minds, God is good, God is in control, God's doing all of this for my good. And when we do that, when we rehearse this, it resets our heart and it resets our mind and then we're able to rejoice, come back to the place where he is the center of our life. Rejoicing takes us up out of the muck and the mire and the confusion and sets our hearts and eyes on the bigger picture where we're able to see that we are a child of the king and who is at working all around us. You know, when I was a kid, not when I was a kid, when my kids were younger, what I used to do is I loved to, to t- get, put them on a high place. So I'd take, take them as they're, I don't know, maybe one, two, not one, two, three years old. I'd pick them up on a, on a uh, stool like this and I'd step away from them and I'd look them in the eyes and, and I'd say, jump. And I'd say, jump. And they're like, no, daddy, no, daddy. It's too high, daddy. You can't catch me, daddy. And they'd sit there and they, would, they wouldn't do it and they wouldn't, they wouldn't jump. And then I continued just to say, you could trust me. You could trust me. I'll catch you. Daddy will catch you. So just jump, just jump. And you could see them wrestling with, do I really trust my daddy is strong enough to catch me? Will he take care of me or will he let me fall? And so they, each, each one of them in a different time in a different way in their lives would always get to the place where they jump. And as they jump, they jump kind of tentatively and I'd grab them and I'd hold them. And I'd say, I love you. I love you. You can trust me. You can trust me. And then I'd put them back up on the pedestal and then I'd take a step back. And I'm like, jump again. And then at the first time, you know, maybe they're a little bit more reluctant, but eventually they're leaping across the room and they trust me because they know that I will be there for them. And I tell you that story because much the same way God does that in our lives. A lot of times God brings us to the place in our lives where he sets us on a pedestal where we feel absolutely out of control. And he says, trust me. Oh, and yeah, it may feel like that, that, that is wobbly, that stand is wobbly and falling. And any moment you could fail, any moment. You turn and you say, no, daddy, no, daddy, no, daddy, no, daddy. I don't want to do it, daddy. And God looks at us and says, just trust me. And then when we jump, he catches us, always catches us, always, always, always catches us. But you know, the problem is we don't like being put in that place where we're outside of control, right? Have you ever flown in a plane? Have you ever flown in a plane and then hit like turbulence? You should do this. Next time you're flying a plane and you guys hit turbulence, look around real fast and see what people do. What do people do? Well, they do this. They immediately like hold on to their seats, right? So they hear turbulence and they're holding on. Like that's gonna do anything. Right, if the plane's going down, you holding on to the seats, not bringing that plane back up. In that moment, you're completely out of control of everything. And yet you can just see our natural tendency. I just gotta hold on to this. I just gotta control something. And maybe that's this, what you've been walking through in this season of life. Like you just feel so out of control. You can't control your kid's school schedule. You can't control your work schedule. You can't control anything. Like this is the season where where God is like stepping in saying, hey, people down there on earth, you're not in control. Like you can't fix all of this. I'm in control. So look to me. Man, I, I pray that's our disposition right now in our lives. 
that we realize that God has allowed us to realize that we're completely out of control of everything. That we look to our daddy and we say, I trust you, that you are ultimately my source of joy, that you ultimately are what I need and you ultimately are what I want. And sometimes it takes that rehearsing. God is good. God, you are good. God, you are at work. God, you are powerful enough. You are in control. And that changes us so that we get to the place of where we can rejoice. Second, the second way we move towards giving thanks for all things is through persistently praying or through persistent prayer. Look at verse 17. Pray without ceasing. So not only are we to rejoice always, but now the second thing, this next path towards life begins and continues with praying without ceasing. Now, I used to read this passage. I used to think that the goal of this command was to have every breath of my life to be constant full of prayer. You guys ever think that way too? Like you think like the goal of this, this command right here is to have every breath that comes out of my life to be a prayer. Well, that's not it. That's not what he's saying here because that's impossible because like, I have to parent. Like, and sometimes my parenting is not praying. Sometimes my, my talking to other, other uh, people is not praying. And so he's not saying that the, your, the quantity of your voice and quantity of your life should be all about prayer, but he's talking more about the persistence, our persistence in prayer, that we continue to do it kind of like a cough, right? You know, when you get that cough, for, now you get that cough and you're like, okay, go to the doctor. Don't go to the doctor. 14 days alone, I don't know if I can do it. But you know about the cough, right? When you get a cough, that cough is not always there, but it's persistent. It, it's, it's right underneath the surface of your life and you don't know when it's gonna come out. Sometimes you do, you kind of feel the tickle and then you begin to cough, but that cough is persistent. That's, what he's, that's the picture of what he's saying about our prayers, is that as we go throughout our day, that prayer should be right underneath the surface. And then at times we pray out loud. We actually then actually do it persistently. We continue to do it. And what is the, the content of our prayers? Our content of our prayers should be confessions. When we realize that we messed up, we should be very, very quick to confess and say, God, I'm sorry. We should have uh, prayers of praise where we thank God and we, we see God at work. We say, God, thank you. God, thank you for that blessing. God, thank you for that. We should do prayers of, of supplication where we're praying, praying for other people persistently over and over and over again. Why is this a big deal? Because prayer is an amazing gift. Prayer is an amazing gift. I don't know if you've ever put this into perspective, but prayer is your opportunity to talk to the God of the universe and he's listening. That's a big deal. Like the God of the universe, the one who's created all things, who has all power, all knowledge, and knows pretty much everybody. That's a joke. He knows everybody. Right, you have an audience with the God of the universe. I remember it was when I was younger how I just longed for my dad to give me attention. Like I longed for, I longed for the time that he would just like sit me down and we did have these opportunities every once in a while, but they were so rare. Where he would sit me down, he's like, Jeff, just talk to me. And 
And I remember feeling just so loved. And I remember just being able to open up and talk to him about my life and, and all the things that were going on, all the good things and all the scary things, all the crazy stuff that was going on at school. And I remember how much that made me feel and know that in a greater way, the God of the universe is even better than that because he's never distracted. The Bible tells us that when we begin to pray, God, the God of the universe, rushes towards us with ears that are intended to hear, to, to hear what's going on in our lives so that he can know our hurts even though he knows them, so that he can know our fears even though he knows them, and so he can know our concerns even though he knows them. Prayer is an amazing gift that we have from God. So persistently pray. You see, prayer, and the beautiful thing about prayer is that prayer changes us. It actually changes, it transforms us. It changes us from who we were to who we are. I remember years ago when I began persistently praying for a spouse. I was at a, a, a student conference and uh, the, uh, the guest speaker was talking about, this is what you should do when you go home, get like a piece of paper and write out all the things that you want in a spouse. And then begin praying for that. I'm like, okay, well, I did. I didn't take him too seriously, but and I also didn't take this as a super spiritual process because if you were to look at my list, it was a bunch of like, like things that really don't matter. <laughs> I wish I would. There were things like, she's got to be beautiful. She's got to make lots of money. She's got to run really, really fast. Uh, she's got to have like her own car. Like these are all the things, like not things that were unimportant, but I began praying for it, just like the guy said. Like I'm praying for this. And so I began praying, oh God, please allow my spouse to, to be beautiful, to have a nice car, to do all these things. And what's funny is that as I continued to persistently pray, by the time I graduated, getting ready to graduate college, those prayers had changed so drastically. Because no longer was I looking for one, the person that was just pretty or had a car. I was looking for a woman that could help support me, not financially, but could be my, my spiritual side. I was praying for someone that was passionately, that would be already always passionately pursuing God, someone that have a heart for God and a heart for people. I was praying for someone that would have a heart for the church. I was praying for someone that would have a heart for missions. I was praying for someone that would just love God with their whole being. And I, I, I wish you could see my prayer journal. I wish I kept it. But that you would see that this didn't happen just overnight, but it started with the simple and mundane and moved to the deep. And guess what? God answered my prayers. Not the prayers of the first page. Even though my wife had a car when we got married, she is beautiful and she can run fast, but that wasn't, <laughs> he kind of gave that, that too. But he gave me what I really need. Persistent prayer changes us. And it helps us to see when God answers those prayers that he has been with us the whole time. Now we need to move, move quickly to the third one. The, uh, the third truth is to give thanks in all circumstances. Giving thanks in all circumstances is verse 18. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, this is so beautiful that he gives us the will of our lives. This is God's will for our life is that we do three things in our lives. This is not encapsulating of all of God's will, but this is one of those passages that God says, hey, you want, me, you want to know what you should be doing? Well, here you go. You should be rejoicing always. You should be praying without ceasing, and you should be giving thanks in all circumstances. 
in all circumstances that we are to give thanks, not just in the good times, but we are to give thanks in the difficult times as well. Giving thanks in all circumstances. Now, let me, let me give you an opportunity just to, to respond here. How many of you are thankful for something? Raise your hand. You're thankful. Okay, what is it that you're thankful for? Go ahead and shout it out. New kidney, yes. The church. We got some kids down here. What'd they say? Family, good. Yes, yes, we're, we're thankful for a lot of things. And I know many of you are like, I'm not used to talking back in church. That's okay. I don't want to make you feel awkward. But what if I were to tell you that you could be thankful for this? Anyone know what that is? It's a flea. Yeah, fleas usually are really, really small. But this one, we, I, I blew up the picture so you could see how ugly these things are. Self being thankful for a flea? I want to tell you a story about how God can be thanked for the fleas. I want to tell you this story about Corey and Betsy Tinboom. Here's a picture of them. This was years ago. Corey and, and Betsy were courageous and compassionate Dutch Christians that helped protect Jews from the Nazis during uh, World War II. They would hide them in their home and help them get to safety. Well, eventually they got found out that they were helping, uh, um, they were helping the Jews. And so the Nazis captured them, arrested them, and put them in a concentration camp. And while they were in camp, they lived in barracks that looked like this. Wall-to-wall people. A prison. And they, the beds were so tight that there were hundreds of people, hundreds of women in a room just like that. And they laid on beds of straw. The beds of straw stunk so bad and they smelled so bad that it was almost a nauseating place uh, to be. And one day, as uh, Corey and her uh, sister Betsy were living in this, um, this place, something happens. Betsy is, or, or Corey is laying there in bed and she feels something bite her leg. And immediately she sits up and she hits her head on the bed that's ahead of her. And she gets out and they try to get out into the light and they try to see what's going on. And they see that she was just bitten. by. And then they begin to look around even more and more. And they see that the whole place is infested with fleas. So anytime they go to lie down, there's fleas biting them all over again, in and out. And this is, this is an account from a, a book called Timeless Stories. Just in the moment, as they realized that they were uh, fleas all around them, it took Corey a moment to realize that her, her big sister was praying. Immediately, she cries out, uh, Betsy climbs, uh, exclaims, Corey, excitedly, we've gotten the answer that we've been asking for, as he always does in the Bible study this morning. Do you remember the Where is it? Go get the Bible. Let's, let me read it again. Corey checked out to make sure that the guards were not nearby. Then from a pouch, a small Bible she had managed to smuggle into the concentration camp. It was in 1 Thessalonians, she said, finding the passage in the feeble light. Here it is, she said. And frightening. Comfort the frightening and help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray consistently. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. She says, that's it. 
Betsy interrupted. Here's your answer. Give thanks to God in all circumstances. That's what we should do right now in this place. We should stop and begin to thank God for every single blessing that's in this barrack. Corey looked at her sister kind of in a strange way and was like, what should we be thankful for? The sister replies, we should be thankful that God has assigned us to be together. Corey bit her lip and she says, oh yes, Lord Jesus, thank you. We should be able to, to say thank you for holding our hands. Yes, we should do that. Corey then looked down into the Bible that she had that she was able to smuggle in. And she says, yes, dear Lord, thank you that there was no inspection when we entered here. And thank you, Lord, for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, agreed Betsy. Thank you for the very crowdings here. The people that are so packed, we thank you for they will have an opportunity to hear. Corey wasn't so excited about that. But after her sister gave her a glance, she says, okay, all right. Thank you, Lord, for the jam, cram, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Now it was Betsy's turn. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for the fleas. That was too much for Corey. She's like, there's no way. I'm not thanking the Lord for the fleas. I, there's no way that God can make me grateful for these fleas. Sister turned to her and reminded her, give thanks to, in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of this place where God has put us. So they stood between the stacks of the bunks and they gave thanks for the fleas. Though on that occasion, he was surely wrong. But as the weeks passed, Betsy's health began to weaken. And so she was no longer to do, able to do work duty outside. Instead, she stayed inside the barracks, knitting socks together with the other seriously ill prisoners. She was a super fast knitter, so she got her sock quota done every single day so she could spend the rest of the time going bunk to bunk or platform to platform, sharing with the other prisoners about Jesus. She would read them Bible stories and tell them about how Jesus loved them. And the guards never seemed to really venture into the barracks. But one evening, when Corey arrived back from the barracks, Betsy's eyes were twinkling. She had extraordinary news that she had just found out of what was going on. Betsy said, I found out what God is doing. You see, earlier today, there was a, a fight among the quota and the, the people were disagreeing. So we reached out to a supervisor to come in and help settle the dispute and the supervisor wouldn't come in. The supervisor refused to come in. And then we called on the guards and the guards refused to come in. And we later found out that people would purposely stay away from all the barracks because they were infested with fleas. Thank you, God, for the fleas. Because it's the fleas that allowed the purpose and the mission of God to be carried out in the lives of these people. If it weren't for the fleas, they wouldn't have been able to share the gospel. She wouldn't have been able to share with untold people over and over and over again. Thank you, God, for the fleas. It was in that moment that Corey's mind raced back to the first hour that they were there in the barracks. And she bowed her head again. And she recited again, thank you, God, for the fleas. You know, we don't know what God is doing around us all times. What may seem like disappointment and may, may seem like despair 
is surely a sign that God is at work. May this Thanksgiving season, may we be able to get to the place of where we're thankful for everything, not just the good stuff. I want to press you this week to walk through this this process of rejoicing and this time of prayer so that you can look at your life and be thankful for the difficulties, the challenges, and the disappointments. Because that there in which lies the opportunity for us to say, God, I trust you. Though it looks bad, though it feels bad, it is still good. So let's thank him for everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you for your words of truth and your words of life. And Father, I'm I'm sure that in this year, there have been many things that it's been hard for us to thank you for. But Father, help, I thank you for the canceled events. Father, thank you for the difficulties that we've had to go through. And though even Thanksgiving this year may look different than it has in the past, help us to be thankful for it because for some reason you have purpose in all of this. You are good and you are working this out for your glory and for our good. So Father, help us to respond this season through rejoicing, through prayer, and through giving thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.